selection committee goes out to Indianapolis. Uh, we spend three days out there going through both at-large selections, and then we go through seating for every single weight class. We have a boatload of data that we have to take into consideration as we work our way through every single weight class. And it is a really interesting, unique process. It was my first time going through it. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Friday, March 10th. Our guest today is Matt Valenti, two-time NCAA champ for Penn. He's now the associate athletic director at Penn. But more importantly, folks... Matt was on the seating committee that determined the NCAA bracket. So we spend probably half the conversation going through that process, what it entails, and how we ultimately get our in brackets for the NCAA tournament. Loved having Matt on the show. I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to, got it right here, Shannon Mallory, Oklahoman, based on his Twitter profile. He's an Oklahoma State Cowboy fan. Go Pokes. Shannon, thank you so much for listening to the show, and for giving us some love on Twitter. We greatly appreciate it. Now, without further ado, folks, let's give it up for the pride of New Jersey, Matt Valenti. This episode is presented by Beat the Street Chicago. They're hosting an NCAA viewing party Saturday, March 18th at Fat Poor Wicker Park in the city, Chicago IL. Tickets are 25 bucks. All proceeds go to support Beat the Street Chicago. Last year, they had over 250 people attend. This year, the goal is 300. So I encourage everyone listening, if they're in the city, go to the Beat the Street Chicago NCAA viewing party. You can purchase tickets via the link in our show notes. If you can't make it and still want to support the cause, you can donate to Beat the Street Chicago, btschicago.org slash donate. This episode is also sponsored by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, and on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. All right, Matt Valenti, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Pleasure being here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for quite some time. I, I love I love having Penn guys on. Now, were you under Coach Reyna or were you after Coach Reyna? I was recruited by Coach Reyna. I wrestled for him for three years. Uh, well, two years, I took a year off. And then in my year off is when Roger left and then Zeke came in. So I did my last two years with Zeke. Got it. Is there is there anyone better than Coach Reyna? I just I freaking love the guy. He's like he's one of my favorite people to uh to talk to and just so uh so awesome that he's back at Penn and you know the year they're having. Awesome. Yeah, uh Roger is awesome. Roger is incredibly unique in the wrestling world in terms of what he brings to the sport and what he brings to our program. And um I tease him and I tease our alumni community all the time. I was like 
we've never seen somebody like Roger before, and I don't know that we ever will. So we all need to be comfortable with like Roger is Roger, and he is unique and special and amazing, and what he's doing is just absolutely incredible and insane, and uh, it's fun and you know it's a blast to be a part of it. But uh, we also need to recognize that like there are not many people out there like Roger. No, not at all. I mean to come back to the grind after he had been away in the uh, in the in the startup world, business world. Mm-hmm. that's that's a uh, that's a full-time commitment and even myself like I don't think I have that good of a sense of just how grueling it is to be a, a college football coach in terms of the schedule mm-hmm. um, and uh, I know you know that so you mentioned you were in Indy this week working on mm-hmm. the the seeds and everything mm-hmm. brackets came out earlier this week I recorded a bracket reaction show give us kind of an overview of how that process works to how we actually sure. get the in brackets from the conference mm-hmm. weekend yeah, so uh, the selection committee goes out to Indianapolis. Uh, we spend three days out there going through both at-large selections, and then we go through seating for every single weight class. Um, we have a boatload of data that we have to take into consideration as we work our way through every single weight class. Um, and it is a really interesting, unique process. It was my first time going through it. Um when you have to wrap your head around the fact that you are only focusing on the season that is currently in progress, it definitely creates some unique conversations of kind of how you look at things. Um, I was going to say, that's my number one question is how Mm -hmm. the heck do you guys have that, that um, discipline to not let what happened the year prior impact it? It's honestly, it's really, really hard. It's really hard. And um, you know, you look at a weight like, 184 right it's it's the hot topic you look at 184 and you know how do you go through that weight class and not acknowledge what aaron brooks has done but at the same time what the data shows us for this year is this is panning out the way it's panning out and we have nothing we can do about that that's the way this is playing out and it doesn't matter if he was a three-time ncaa champ undefeated his entire career the data shows us he can't be a number one seed this year and that's the way it's played out and um, but you know, even it's, worse it's though is he, to work through that. he did beat Keck Kaizen this year, but you can't use that either. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The NWCA all-star match does not count on your official record. It's considered an exhibition match. Um, you know, and that's honestly something we talked about. We were like, Hey, do we need to go back to the NWCA and say, we need to figure out how this counts in an official record form going forward, because we can't look at this as something that happened this year. And that feels uncomfortable for us because we know what we're going to get and feedback at the end of the day when we, as people who are involved in the wrestling world, acknowledge that Brooks beat Gekkeisen, but it doesn't count. So now, we, we can't factor that in. Now, can you count in, like if, if Brooks goes to a, goes to the Keystone Open and he beats a mm-hmm. high schooler, does that win count for this season? It will count in his overall record as a, as a win, but it will not count for seating purposes as we look at seating. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, the formula breakout is is fascinating as well because it does. You know, it's like twenty percent. What is it? A twenty percent previous win. I mean, what's the breakdown of of how that goes? Yeah, there's there's a whole. It's actually all available online. But like the the number one um, um, percentage we're looking at is actually head to head. Head to head. So in the context of eighty four, actually, it. it it helped us a bit because if you're looking at head to head as the number one criteria, and obviously there are a lot of pieces that go into it, but head to head being the number one criteria, when you have Kekeisen and Hidley having beaten each other, Brooks having lost to Coleman and then factoring all of that in, you know, it, it, it kind of made that all play out the way it played out where we actually didn't even have to like do that much thinking because it all pointed that direction for us at the end of the day, even though in our gut, we're all like, we got a two time NCAA champ who's going to be a three seed in this tournament. But, Right. That's the season right. and the way it's played out. And unfortunately he's got a loss on his record. That's somebody that's going to be seated in the same cohort. So we have to figure all that out. Yeah. And there is, you know, every single year you can predict wrestling Twitter in waves, you know, December, we get somewhat upset about the, uh, you know, we should add pushouts, and then January, someone's mad that we should cut riding time every March. There's questions about the seeds. I actually think mm. this year they're pretty good. Like I, I think there's a couple where the Brooks one, the Brooks one probably really matters if you're Hydley because mm-hmm. other than that, I don't think it really matters because he's going to be in the finals and at the two or three, what does it matter? But 
Trent Hadley would probably rather wrestle Parker Kaiser than Aaron Brooks to get to the finals. But other mm. than that, I thought they were pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, I will say as a committee, when we went back and reviewed all the brackets when they came out, were there points where we were like, oh, like this was tough and do we need to rethink this? And, you know, do we love how this landed? Maybe, maybe not. But at the same time, we looked at them all. We were like, this was incredibly hard. There's some weight classes where like there were seven guys you could consider for one seed. And this guy beat that guy, beat this guy, beat that guy who lost to that guy who beat this. So you're trying to kind of map this out in a way where it seems like it's fair. And we injected a little bit more sub subjectivity into the seating this year too, where we could look at bad losses. We could look at injury default, medical forfeits at the conference, conference placement, kind of how these things have factored in that don't necessarily score points, but can be a subjective piece of it, particularly when looking guys are close. Um, so as you're looking through all those things, you're like, you know what? We're doing the best we can with some of these weight classes where there's just an absolute disaster where like six through 11 have just beaten the snot out of each other, have terrible losses, great wins all over the map. And like, we're going to do the best we can of trying to make this as fair as possible based on how these seasons have played out. I think what's challenging, especially this year is, I mentioned this earlier this week, but there's a couple of brackets where like the 24 seed is a named guy who's legit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I don't remember that necessarily happening as much, but I also think now more than ever, the good guys are more spread out. Like the ACC mm -hmm. has some hammers, the EIWA, you know, and to say they have some hammers is an understatement. But I think the other big talk you're hearing is that maybe back in the day, the Big Ten got a lot of love and mm. they still do, of course, but maybe that's not as heavy as it was in the past. Mm. Um, I mean, the Big 12, the Big Five conferences that exist in wrestling, I think we all acknowledge like they are incredibly tough conferences and, you know, a sixth place finish in the Big Ten may not be all that bad, even though it's a sixth place finish. If you look at, you know, how that... Um, how yeah. that bracket fell at the same time the big 10 is so tough that a 24 ranked wrestler could beat a number five ranked wrestler at the big 10 tournament and that can cause a tumble in the seeds at the end of the day because yeah the way the numbers fall the way the seating falls like that number 24 guy who ended up placing fifth at big tens over the guy who placed sixth who's fifth in the country well it's hard to now seed the number five guy in the country over the guy who's 24 who just beat him head to head two right. weeks ago Right. right. So you have to kind of figure out, all right, can we see the six in the eight in the Big Ten over a five in the Big Ten, four seeds higher just because he was ranked higher. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it is it's it's like a giant game of chess sounds, trying to figure out how to piece it all together. Sounds kind of it's definitely stressful, but it sounds like it'd be man to be selected for that would be like, wow, this is going to be eye opening to actually see how this happens. Yeah, I mean, to see the sausage made and to get the input, and we have a couple of people on the committee who are not, like, strictly wrestling people who come at things with a little bit different perspective than I think how we think of it being in the wrestling community, and it's actually refreshing to hear some of that, too, and they're like, why are you guys thinking about that? Like, here are the rules. Here's the guidance. This is pretty clear-cut, and we're like, no, 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 like, this guy beat that guy, and he pinned him, and he's like, they're like, but the data says no. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right there. That was my ne next question is you talk about a group of people who, how many people are involved? Is it like so 10 had, of us? 10 there's years? two head coaches, two active head coaches. There's uh, three administrators from institutions and then one administrator from a uh, conference. So there's, there's six of us in total. And the, you mentioned that there are some maybe non-wrestling folks and that is, that's even more interesting because to mm -hmm. your point, they take those, those biases out and uh it's it's uh it's, man it's just so fascinating like think about like seeding a a boxing tournament not knowing anything about boxing and just looking at the numbers you know i'm trying to trying mm -hmm. to put myself in their shoes so um that is interesting though it is it is really interesting honestly it's a really helpful uh voice to have in the room and you know they're not like totally blind and you know unaware of wrestling they are aware of wrestling and are tied in and they get involved in the committee because they have a connection to wrestling in some capacity but but the the kind of outsider view of like how to think about things i think does help because there is a tendency particularly in the community to be like no i know this guy like yeah. i know how good this guy is but 
that guy also hasn't been that good this year and it shows and he's lost to a guy who's not in the field. Right. So. And I think it does give, it gives a motivation for in the season. Like everyone's talking about, we want more than just March to matter. That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a consistent theme. And I think this does reward that, right. If it's only this season. Yeah. Yeah. The body of work is definitely a big piece of the puzzle when you're looking at it. Um, you know, in in a really good win early in the season, that sticks with you like that. That doesn't go away. If you have a win over a guy who's a top five guy in the country, that sticks in your record. And when we get mm-hmm. to seeding and if you have the the body of work throughout a season that you end up in that cohort with a guy who's top five, like you're going to be in the conversation for how to seed in that mix. So um, it is really interesting to sit there and, and be involved in the sausage. It's interesting to see data applied to wrestling, too, which feels a little bit weird. Um, I is also wrestling appreciate... the biggest lagger in the world in terms of data compared to other sports or are there other sports out there? Uh, there are other sports out there that are still lagging, but wrestling is, is catching up to the trends of the world in the modern sports world for sure. We're, we are getting there. Yeah. Um, but we also still maintain a lot of our like wrestling purism too, like head to head. That's the yeah. end of the day. That's what matters the most. And that's how it should be. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, you mentioned medical forfeits. Mm-hmm. How does, I guess, how does that take into, I guess, do you differentiate between someone who, who doesn't wrestle a second at the conference tournament, like who double defaults out versus someone who's wrestled a couple and then defaults out of the place match? Um, we kind of look at each case individually and kind of map out like, okay, do we have a question about availability? Like, mm-hmm. you know, are we seeing an injury default in the middle of a match? And then, you know, cascading medical forfeit to sixth place out of a semifinal. Um, you know, could that right. person be available? Who was the injury default to? Because that does count as a loss. Um, you know, our guys weighing in injury defaulting, medical forfeiting out. Fortunately, we didn't see that that much this year, which is great. Awesome. Um, and I think yeah. sharing that, that subjective perspective around medical forfeits is going to factor in, I think helped with that. Um, and we're probably going to review what that looks like going into next year too, because I think we have to ask the question of guys entering conference tournaments, injury defaulting, medical forfeiting out to try and earn a qualifying spot, but haven't wrestled in weeks or months. Should they even be eligible to be considered for an at-large bid at that point? So we're going to start to ask some of those questions going forward. Um, yeah. You know, the, the systems are built for people to figure out how to work within those systems and. Mm-hmm. systems then also need to adjust. So we're trying to figure out how we do that to make sure we capture things the right way. And so you said a, if we're wrestling in the semis and I'm medical to for, medically uh, you know, forfeit to you, that's a loss for me and a win for you? Injury default counts as a loss. So if I injury default to you, that counts as a win for you and a loss for me. The following medical forfeits count as a win for the person who gets the medical forfeit, but does not then count as a loss for me. So if like the, like a semi slide type deal, you get hurt in the third quarter in the, of the third period in the semis and you have three, three wrestle back match or not three, because you'd be oh you know done with the second one, but I mm. see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the medical forfeits are tricky for us too, because medical forfeits show as a win for somebody in the record. And so a quality win, that's a medical forfeit. Well, is that actually a quality win? That's so then we have to go back and think about, okay, so-and-so is showing that they have three quality wins, but one of those was a medical forfeit. All right, timeout. We need to look at this one and make sure that actually makes sense of the important, the points that they're awarded. Do they deserve those points at that point? Interesting. And it's mm-hmm. like, a, I mean, even as wrestling fans, the people who do the rankings, like at the media outlets, these people are so in the weeds. Like they they amaze me at how much they know. And it's so hard even for coaches to be as in the weeds as some of these rankers are. Um, and I, I don't know how other sports do it, but I've always wondered if that is taken into consideration or if that's not one of the in- influences. So the rank that we use is coaches rank. Um, and I will tell you that's without scary. a doubt, there's, there's gamesmanship and how coaches are ranking kids. Like we saw the final coaches rank and we were like, what the heck it's is going on with some of these? And it's brutal because It is a factor in the point system. It does have an impact on seating. You know, we we are looking at that. At the same time, we saw a couple of coaches ranks where we're like, this is total BS. We're throwing this out. Like, this is garbage that Mm -hmm. this franking is where it is. Um, Yeah. And there will will inevitably be inherent bias in ranking, too, because Mm -hmm. 
coaches, rightfully so to some degree, like can't forget what happened a year prior to, right? Um, so, you know, Brooks yeah. being number one, you know, by the data, if you look at the data, like I don't understand why Brooks is number one seed, to be honest, or number one rank. Like he's got a loss to a guy in the country, mm-hmm. right? Who is much lower rank. Mm-hmm. By definition, you should be dropping him, but we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think about things like that and kind of how that plays in. And and we've been talking about the rank piece and, you know, what makes sense and how do we eliminate the gamesmanship and the coach's rank in particular. Um, it's disappointing. I, I, you know, one of the other administrators on the call asked me, like, you know, how do we get rid of the, the, uh, the gamesmanship of how coaches are trying to, you know, beat the system? And I was like, honestly, hire better coaches. I, I don't really know what to tell you. Cause... Or just not have the coaches rank because, like, why that's that. I mean, that's just so that's inherently there's so many inherent biases there. Like, I would think it would be it would be more accurate to take like an average of like flow and intermats rankings. Like, mm. people who are in the thick of it, um, because I, I can't imagine how much coaches have going on to be able to rank the, the 25th guy would be brutal. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Get, getting down to 33 is brutal and seating down to 33 <laughs> is brutal too. Um, so I, I can appreciate that. Um, I think where, you know, where I struggle is we're not necessarily the, necessarily seeing the gamesmanship in the 25 to 33 range. We're I seeing see. it up above that too. And yeah. that's where I'm like, Hey, let's, let's stop with some of this. Like, this is absurd that we're doing this. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about like, you know, where does the media ranking fit? Does it fit? You know, some of the other um, sports in the world find a way to use media rankings. Do we factor those in? Um, you know, it's, it's a constant discussion of like, how do we better evolve this process so that we're getting the most accurate data possible? Um, but it's tricky because even media rankings will have bias too, mm-hmm. right? Somebody is a Penn State fan, like they're right. going to give an edge to a Penn State kid in a ranking when they're looking at ranking at the end of the day. Like how many media outlets have Brooks not number one? right now. right and to your point it does drive me nuts when rankers and they're all like this brooks will lose to marcus coleman and mm-hmm. brooks doesn't move in the rankings like yeah i get that he's still everyone's he's still the vegas favorite to win nationals i get it but, absolutely but still like you lose a match you should move a little bit in the rankings so i do see mm-hmm. that is one of my frustrations as well uh, especially in the ufc you see that but yeah it's a uh, it is a little confusing yeah. And that's, you know, those are the things that we try and weigh and uh, trying to take into consideration as we go into seating too. Right. Cause you have to think about those things a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the same time, there's only so much we can do too. We can only seed some guys within certain areas, right? Some guys, there are some guys in this tournament, this, this coming or next weekend that we seeded as high as we could possibly see them within the system that we have in place. And that, Seed was not where people thought they were going to be, but that was the highest possible seed we could put them in at the end yeah. of the day. There were also some guys who popped in a seeding that we were like, how the heck is this name in this seeding? Like, absolutely <laughs> not. We got to figure this out because this doesn't make any sense. And then we worked our way through it and ended in a better place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it was a fascinating, eye-opening process for me. Uh, interesting to me, for me to kind of follow what's going on in you know, the wrestling community of how they're responding to it. But... Um, yeah, I, I would challenge anybody to sit in that room and try and figure out how the heck to seed 197 because I didn't have gray hairs when I went to Indianapolis, and I do now. So. <laughs> it's so tough, and it's so exciting. Like, I just yeah. – like, this, man, every round is going to be awesome. And uh, certainly at that weight, it actually reminds me of – and I don't know if this is fact or if this is rumor, but rumor has it that back when Gable was the coach at Iowa, there was mm-hmm. a rule – that you had to separate conference opponents for the first mm-hmm. one or two rounds. Is that fact or fiction? No, there there was a rule at some point, and it was with the blind draw, where you couldn't have a blind draw of conference opponents into each other in the first round. Got it. Um, and- but once we started seeding down to 33, that took that out of the equation. Right. It's just the reason I bring it up, though, is because it's like it that would be back then when the Big Ten was way more dominant than they are now. I mean, and mm. remember those – Back then, it was like the number of spots they got per weight was fixed, right? So, like top mm. eight went or top seven went. So, it would be a very it'd be a distinct advantage to be separated from a Big Ten opponent if at all possible mm. in the first round. Yep, you know? absolutely agree. So yeah, but now now that's out of the equation. I mean, hey, one of one of my guys here at Penn is is uh, 
one of the victims of this kind of seeding where you don't separate within the conference. We've got a Cornell kid first round and the winner of that first round match is potentially wrestling into glory from Princeton, right? So we got Penn and Cornell that. and the winner wrestles Princeton. Yeah. And on the surface, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, right. conference matchup, but also that's how the seating fell too. And did you probably did you, appropriately seated? Did you guys just like fall over in your chair when you saw that Griffin and the kid from Oregon, Oregon State were so close and it's going to be three weeks in a row potentially? Like that we, is crazy. Yeah. There were honestly, there were a couple of those that as we were working our way through the seating and the things started to kind of fall into place. And we really do take it like one seat at a time. But as we started to work our way down, we saw a couple of these weight classes where we were like, crap, the way this is playing out, like, this is how this is probably going to fall. And we're looking at it and we're like, okay, are, are there adjustments? You know, can we make a case here for this or that? And like at the right. end of the day, we were like this. Yeah. We, we got 197, a big 10 final in the second round. We got a pac 12 rematch in the second round. This is the third time they're going to wrestle in like the last five weeks. Like, but it also very clearly fell that like we couldn't do much. Like that's how right. that was playing out and based on who beat who and, it's super interesting. Well, it makes me feel good that someone like you, who's you know national champion, two-time national champ, spent your life in wrestling, is in the committee. That is very reassuring to know that, because you know numbers are one thing, but at the, cert- the same time, you have to know the sport a little bit. And mm. so it's awesome you're in there. Um, I actually didn't even know you were part of that, so th- I'm so <laughs> excited I... that you were because this is you know this is the most wonderful time of the year. Everyone's talking brackets. Everyone's talking seeds. And for you guys to leave Indy knowing that you put Brooks three and knowing that like a car and Griffith are going to wrestle right away, which I do think, or in the course, which, which I do think is the right seed, but you just must've been so excited to like drop these awesome matches on people because it's so every round is going to be important now. Yeah. And honestly, like, I, you know, we, I think we walk away and we have like equal parts excitement and like, concern about how it's all going to be perceived right because we know we're going to get destroyed because we're going to make a terrible decision in somebody's (laughs) mind somewhere along the way and we disrespected that guy or we disrespected this guy uh and honestly in most of the cases we're like now you guys did this to yourselves because you didn't wrestle enough matches to get an rpi or you lost to this guy or amen all of these things like hurt you at the end of the day um but like to see some of these seeds fall into place i'm sitting there i've sitting there a couple times and i'm like wow (laughs) like we have four ncaa champs or three ncaa champs on one side of a bracket yeah but there's nothing we can do about it that's how this seating played out because that's how their seasons went and you know it's going to make the tournament that much more exciting you know the guys who wrestled throughout the year who had the body of work are getting rewarded for the body of work at the end of the day um in the fields that get set like I honestly think the product that this tournament is now has gotten better since this whole selection mm-hmm. and seating process has come together because it's, it's about as fair as it's been, I think in the history of the sport. And yes, there are some ugly things that come out of it at the end of the day, but they are entirely justifiable based on what I saw working yeah. through those that, Hey, you want to be seated higher win matches. That's the end of the, that's the bottom line at the end of the day. Like you got to win matches and you got to be good guys to be yep. seated higher. So it's, they, they reward guys for beating good people. And the reality is that for the, the true competitors out there, the guys in the tournament, it really doesn't matter. I mean, mm-hmm. it does, but it doesn't. Right. I mean, that's, that's the old adage, but for these, for these fantasy leagues out there where you can only pick a certain seed, this is a great year for it. Right. Cause oh, yeah. because, uh, you know, you got Max Dean a nine C. That's that's mm-hmm. that's cheap money to get Max Dean. Whereas last year it would have been, you know, second seed point. So it did make uh from what I'm hearing on the streets, uh, Matt, is that the the fantasy leagues are very exciting <laughs> right now because of uh because of how just how deep some of these weights are. I mean, it's just it's yeah. absolutely crazy. Well, if you ever told me that we'd be having similar conversations about fantasy wrestling that we have about fantasy football, where we're excited about how somebody's performing in fantasy. Mm-hmm. uh performances at the end of the day i would have been blown away so i'm excited and uh yeah the cat hadn't been let out of the bag that i was on the committee yet i was joking with uh roger yesterday he was like does anybody know i was like no i don't think anybody's figured that out yet and then i remember that i was coming on with you today and i was like okay 
I'm about to let the cat out of the bag, so I'm sure I'll get some phone calls. But well, I was thinking, I'm like, is this like a like when you have jurors in a murder case, you don't reveal the victims <laughs> of the of the jurors, you know? Like I don't I don't yeah. know if it's like secret, but uh, um, but actually, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because it's it's just a it's a very interesting thing, and I think people will be relieved to know that there's a process. It's the mm-hmm. same process for every weight for every guy. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's uh that's reassuring. And when you go back to to your days, what like what did you come in at seated when you wanted as a junior? I was a six seed when I wanted as a junior. Yeah, um, and I was a two seed my senior year. And actually, both years that I wanted, I didn't wrestle a number one seed. So, oh really? You know, it speaks to this tournament and how tough it is. So let's yeah. go back in time a little bit. So tell sure. me about uh tell me about your early years and, and kind of getting into high school when, when that, that's uh switch flip for you of getting super serious. Sure. Um, so I'll go all the way back. Yeah. Um, my dad was my youth coach. Um, he was an incredible youth coach. We had one of the best youth programs in the country, went about it the right way. All the kids who were in the program just learned to love the sport. And, um, I was a two sport athlete all the way through high school, all the way through my senior year. I played soccer all the way through, my senior year of high school. Um, and my dad, to his credit, really kind of pushed that multi-sport approach. Uh, obviously I was still doing club stuff and, you know, going, I was an edge guy. I was driving down to the edge twice a week, three times a week to get extra workouts in, even in the fall when I was doing soccer. But, um, you know, I think once I hit high school and realized I was 85 pounds as a, you know, High school freshman, Russell 103, my dreams of being a starting center on the basketball team were probably out the window <laughs> and needed to kind of focus on what direction I wanted to go. Um, I loved wrestling. I loved being a part of it. Um, I was fortunate to wrestle on a really good high school team at a public high school, too, at Kittatinny, and um, had a great experience being a part of that team. Coach that just did a good job of building a really strong culture within the team and a very selfless culture within the team, which was awesome. Um, you know, we were not a group of superstars that were recruited to wrestle on one team. We were just a bunch of like collection of farm boys that just were hard nosed and wrestled hard. And, mm-hmm. uh, what it, in New Jersey actually is like a dead breed too. There's no good public high schools anymore outside of like Southern high school. Um, is that right? Is it gotten that crazy with the Catholic yeah. schools? The Catholic schools, the the private schools are, in my opinion, out of control. But you know, that's a whole different conversation that's a, for another. That's day. a whole other eight hours, right? Oh there. yeah, that's <laughs> that's good. That would be a long conversation for another day. I'm disappointed in New Jersey wrestling and kind of the way it's it's gone. But um, so yeah, tell me about it's... tell me about your dad though. He he had a yeah. club where he taught guys to love it, and that yeah. that is such an awesome statement. Because I think back to Adam Terrapelli, he's like, you know. Goals should be that, you know, when your kid's done with wrestling, he'll go to the NCAAs with you, you know, when he's in his Mm. 20s or 30s, which is just what a great statement. And uh, that comes from loving the sport. So what do you think Mm. your dad did differently to really emphasize that? Yeah, um, you know, it's a great question. Um, I think more than anything, he took a really empathetic approach to the sport of just, hey, this sport isn't for everybody. It's okay. But also know that if you're going to be a part of the sport, you're going to have a lot of suffering that come, comes along with that. Not everybody likes that. And if that's not for you, that is absolutely fine. And there are plenty of other sports you can get into, and that'll be great. But know that when you go through that suffering, you're going to do it with a bunch of other people. And it started to build this camaraderie, even at a young age, where like my little teammates and I like love doing stairs after practice and love doing all these <laughs> other things that seemed ridiculous. And But like we enjoyed that type of stuff. Um, it helped that we were pretty good too. And we won a heck of a lot more than we lost, but we also, you know, we didn't beat everybody we ever wrestled. None of us were ever undefeated in any given season. Um, but like found a way to make the sport fun, despite the toughness of what the sport brings to the table. Um, and got people excited about what a next step or next level could look like and did a good job of bringing us to high school meets where, we knew we were all feeding into this high school and got to watch this high school program start to get a little bit better as our guys graduated into the high school program. And we're watching, you know, state champs, in New Jersey, come out of our high school program for the first time and watching them make group state finals for the first time. And so our young group of youth kids got excited about wrestling at the next level. And it just made it easier to make that transition where, you know, we had, we probably at one time probably had 150 to 200 kids in our youth program in this tiny little town 
And most of them would find their way into the high school program at some point in the future. And like, wow. we would have a roster of 50, 60 guys in our high school room, which was absolutely nuts. Um, but it was awesome, man. We had a blast and, you know, we had fun doing it. We wore stupid blue tights. We were mandated to do it. It became a running joke. We were the Smurfs of New Jersey. Like we looked ridiculous. Like in your singlets? Oh yeah. Underneath our singlets. Yeah, oh we had wow. Royal, Royal blue tights. They still wow. wear them to this day. Really? Yeah. yeah. But at the I same didn't... time, we enjoyed that, like, the the dweebs in the royal blue tights beat the snot out a whole bunch of teams <laughs> that were supposed to be really good. And, like, we took pride in that. Absolutely. And I think that really helped, is, like, we understood that those things were part of our process and part of the experience for us. Well, what you said reminded me of something that one of the great Illinois coaches said, is that he was able to make, or his guys told me this, he was able to make the, the high school program something special. So, like, it was like mm-hmm. a D1 program to the youth kids, and he really emphasize that and mm-hmm. that's something that i don't see a lot of like it's a lot of times it's it's such an individual thing that you don't even think about the group but Mm-mm. like just being in that varsity team for this it's glenbar north is what i'm thinking of mm-hmm. where, where tony ramos went but that program everyone wanted to be a part of that program from like little kids on oh yeah yeah i mean our youth program so we had two youth programs that were rival programs actually but we would come together and wrestle as one joint team and we would pick up the high school's name and we would be the high school name as this joint team. And when we came together, we had epic rivalries. Like, I mean, this wow. was back in the day where like our coaches had chair throwing incidents and got into <laughs> fights with each other. And like, it was totally over the top for youth, but, uh, but the two teams would come together. The coaches would coach side by side, side by side. They were both nuts, but we're like best friends when they came together and we would just beat the living snot out of a whole bunch of teams. Um, across the country honestly wow under our high school's name so then we had like a level of pride of like okay we're going to graduate into this high school program and go from there yeah and and when you talk about high school in jersey i just automatically go to one class and Mm -hmm. i I think that's so awesome because mainly from the uh from the fans perspective it's that has to be one of the most epic state tournaments in the in the country what was it like for you going through that tournament honestly it was it was a blast um my freshman year was the first year they didn't have it in boardwalk hall because boardwalk hall was being renovated uh, we ended up in this convention center that was actually not great but then my next three years having the opportunity to wrestle in boardwalk hall was so cool like it was such a cool experience to be in an arena that is honestly a college level or even above in many cases arena mm-hmm. and a single championship in that arena like wrestling in those finals the entire arena is packed and focused on your match like that is such a, a wild and cool experience to have at that age too, mm-hmm. to be able to have, to learn like the poise and calm to be able to navigate what that's like. Cause it was, it was an unreal environment and it was a blast. Um, and it, I mean, there still is in New Jersey. There's still so many studs coming out of that state, but you know, as a young guy, I'm watching Damien Hahn and Damien Logan and Donnie Pritzloff and these guys who were just like legends of New Jersey wrestling go on to be superstars at college and open level. And like, you're watching these guys wrestle out in front of you and you're like, holy crap, this is so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, New Jersey has done it right through the years with the single state championship, in my opinion. Um, I appreciate that they've kept up the tradition of staying at Boardwalk Hall. Um, you know, it's in, and I think they prepare kids pretty well for college wrestling too, which is awesome. Yeah, and it's not a big state population-wise, right? Or... Uh, it's a pretty dense state. There, dense state. there are a okay. lot of wrestlers in that state. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. That you make top eight in New Jersey, you uh, <laughs> you beaten some good guys. Well, I mainly mean like in terms of like NCAA qualifier count, like population wise. How does yeah. it how does it compare to like a like is it like an Illinois size state, California? Because uh, per per capita, they're producing maybe the most of anyone. You know, like yeah. Um, you know what? I'd have to go back and look at where New Jersey is population wise compared to some of those others and where they sit per capita. Yeah. But uh oh, I mean yeah. to place at the New Jersey State Tournament in one class is 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 a is a hell of an accomplishment. And mm. what I've heard is that, you know, in Illinois, which is where I'm based out of, our seventh and eighth grade state tournaments called the IKWF tournament. And that is a two day tournament in an arena on a platform and it's super structured and very competitive. I've heard mm-hmm. that the Jersey kids state is also very serious out there. 
it's been a long time since I've been to Jersey kid States and I've seen enough nightmare stories out of youth state tournaments in general that I probably will keep as much space from youth state tournaments as I can for a long period of time. Um, but I, I have heard the same thing that the structure of the tournament, the way they kind of get it all together. I mean, it was a one, one state, excuse me, one state tournament back then too. And, you know, I remember wrestling in those youth tournaments and probably not quite as nuts as it is now, but certainly yeah. there were some crazy parents back then that made it an interesting experience. And when you're coming up, you know, you mentioned Pritzloff, Damian Hahn. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a, as a, a guy who wrestled 103 myself, I got to imagine looking up to those guys that those were terrifying individuals back then. I mean, these are just absolute killers, man. Oh, being a 103 pounder walking by Damian Hahn in the back of Atlantic <laughs> city uh, arena. I was like, <laughs> Whoa, like I'm gonna try and wrestle in college. Like, this guy's gonna wrestle in college. How's right. that gonna work? He was a senior when I was a freshman, so uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it you know, you're you idolize these guys coming up and you watch them wrestle and you watch them at the next level, and you know, to try and wrap your head around at that point in your life, like, oh, I could like do similar things to them, or I could be as good as them is totally foreign concept, right. And then when you got uh, to the point where you were getting called on from colleges, obviously ended up at Penn, but where was like the number two, number three for you? Cornell was number two for me. Um, I can't honestly say that I had a clear number three. I I didn't get recruited a ton. I was a 112 pounder my junior year, and I was a tiny, like I didn't cut an ounce of weight, 112. And my best guess is a lot of college coaches thought I was going to be too small to wrestle 25 in college, um, which I was five foot, so... Did you win Probably it as a junior? There. I did win it as a junior. Yeah, I won Jersey States as a junior. I was fourth freshman and sophomore year, both years, and then first as a junior. Um, and won a good weight, but not a great weight that year. Uh, so I didn't really get a ton of calls, a ton of attention. Um, I didn't place in Fargo my junior year that summer. That was my next question. Yeah, yeah I was a match away. I placed fifth two years prior as a cadet, but my first year junior, I didn't place. Um. And then got into the recruiting process. I mean, the schools that I actually looked at, it was Penn Cornell, Lehigh, Binghamton. I was supposed to go to Stanford and do a visit at Stanford. I had a flight booked from Newark to San Francisco on October 11th, 2001. September 11th hit, and I was like, Coach, I don't think I'm going to come out. Sorry, I hope you understand. And Coach Buddy was like, yeah, totally get it. Um, Probably a good thing, because I don't know if I would have ever come back from there, but so beautiful um, isn't it <laughs> oh, going out there my freshman year of college and seeing that campus i was like i made a huge mistake but um, even the but one now. up from there is uh cal poly san luis yeah. obispo is like it's the ultimate slow, slow is uh it's pretty beautiful out there yeah and your story um, is like just so refreshing to hear because we're talking about a two-time ncaa champ and you didn't place at Fargo as a junior. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids now think that's the end of the world if they're not getting mm-hmm. called, if they're not winning Super 32. It's like that that's not the only route to get there. Mm-mm. No, it's not. And honestly, I think we're starting to see this a little bit more. Like there are just as many guys who are not top recruits in the country having success at the college level as guys who are top recruits in the country. Mm-hmm. At that, like at that, when you look at the high school rankings, right? Like, yep. I mean, I look at our our Penn kid who was an All American last year, CJ Composto. Like, nobody know nobody knew who that kid was. They'd mm-hmm. never heard of the kid. He was probably like the sixth best kid in, on paper in our class at Penn, right? And you know what we forget. And I we're going through the seating this past week, and I'm looking at the seating, and I'm like, oh, the number two seed at 41, he beat last year. Mm-hmm. Like, kid is undefeated, 26 and 0, and our kid, true freshman, beat him last year. Um, yeah, but, but our kid was an unheralded recruit. Like nobody knew who that kid was. Um, he placed in Jersey States and had a good senior year and did really well. But like, you know, right. it, the success of the next level is not necessarily going to be predicted by who the superstars are coming out. Like that is definitely not number one pound for pound guy. Like, yeah, maybe he'll have an incredible successful career, but for every one of those, there's one who doesn't pan out for one reason or another. So you know, I, I always, when I talk to recruits who come in here at Penn, I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in high school. What matters is how you prepare yourself for the next level, because I don't care if you want everything you've ever been a part of in high school. If you can't embrace the fact that you're going to come in here, get your butt kicked at some point and got to figure out how to bounce back, you're never going to make it. It doesn't matter. You got to be able yeah. to take some lumps and know how to bounce back. 
because at this level, there's there's two things that are guarantees about college wrestling. One, at some point, you're probably going to take a lump because there's very few Kale Sanderson's out there, right? Y- Yanni took a loss this year, right? He's mm-hmm. going to be potentially a four-time NCAA champ and took a loss this year. Uh, and the other thing is, hardest thing in college wrestling is staying healthy. Like, you got to learn how to wrestle in a way where you're not going to put yourself at risk of getting injured long-term, too, and be smart about how you wrestle because if you suck on bottom and you're getting your arms ripped off, you ain't going to make it. You're not going to make it four years. So you got to figure out how to wrestle in a way where you're going to be able to keep yourself and your body in check to make it through four years of wrestling. You said something that, that triggered a, a th- something I've been thinking about lately. Back in your era, guys were wrestling 40 matches, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the reason people are wrestling, I guess the better question is, why do you think we're seeing seasons with so many less matches now? Is it because guys are trying to avoid that that crippling injury and burnout that a lot of the guys mm-hmm. in the previous era suffered, or what? What's the situation? Um, it's a great question, and I probably have twenty different theories in my head of why that is. Um, what I come back to, and and actually this past week highlighted this for me, the parity in college wrestling right now is particularly at the Division One level is wild it's crazy like i mean i'm i'm looking at results from the season where a guy who is like the 29th ranked guy has a win Mm -hmm. over a top five guy in my day like if you were ranked 29th like we're hoping you don't get majored by somebody in the top five like a major is probably a good result for you if you're a 29th ranked guy back Mm -hmm. in my day and I, i think that parody and that level of the sport being as high as it is I mean, I think the intensity of it has picked up even more than it used to be. Every match is difficult. And, and bonus points, I think, are you know, obviously you have some high level guys who can score a lot of points, but you're not going to, there's not guys who are, you know, getting bonus points in 90% of the matches they're in these days, mm-hmm. right? Even the best guys, you got a two time returning NCAA champ in Brooks, who we've been talking about, who's got a loss this year, mm-hmm. right? And to a guy who's seated fifth or sixth, right, at the NCAA tournament, like nobody's invincible anymore there, there are very few undefeated guys who are just steamrolling the competition all right spencer lee okay we'll put him out and you know he's a whole different animal he's we'll, an animal we'll leave him out there but like the spencer lees of the world that we don't see that as much anymore like one through 20 on any given day like they can beat each other they really yeah. can and i i think that factors into it i think that intensity level picks up i think the intensity level in the room also is not far off i, I used to have teammates who I would be like, you know what? I need a light day today. I'm picking this guy mm-hmm. and I'm going to beat the snot out of this guy all day. Like I go and watch our workouts and I'm like, Oh wow. Our best guy is, he's got to work to win this practice match today. Wow. Oh, crap. Okay. Like that's the level of training you're looking at. So you think that's driving down the number of matches, just the parody? And I think the parody, I think the level being as high as it is also yeah. is going to lead itself to guys being banged up a little bit more too. Like, yeah, that, that's going to happen when you got to win five brutal matches in Southern scuffle or win the Southern scuffle, like your body's going to take a toll. That's reality. And mm-hmm. um, it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing more guys with like just nicks and injuries and missing a little bit of time here and there. And um, you know, there's also a sport specialization component of this that I think factors in. I think we have too many guys that just wrestle and that's it and don't develop muscles any other way, which is a whole different theory and a different, conversation but you know i think it's a confluence of things mm-hmm. i just think the the level of competition is so high right now to maintain that for 40 matches is incredibly hard yeah and i don't think that I, people listening i'm not suggesting that we should go back to the 40 45 i don't i don't think that's the way i actually i i like when it's a little bit shorter season mm-hmm. because it's um yeah i'm a big advocate of allow me this side tangent dual dual championships mm-hmm. Season starts in January. Any open tournaments in November, December have them, but they don't count. And then we're have a, we have a, a six-week dual season. And then the last two weeks of the dual championships, and we go to Big Tens. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard any grumblings when you're in Indy of a potential team championship change? Or is this <laughs> is this Twitter uh, Twitter lore? Not, 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 not that there's even rumors, just hopeful thinking, I guess. There, there, there has perpetually been hopeful thinking about a, a dual meet championship. Um at the end of the day, we got to get the coaches there. That's what it boils down to. Okay. We got to get the coaches there. I've, if, 
the coaches came to us tomorrow and said, we want to do a dual championship. We have a format. We're ready to go. We're like, let's do it. Let's go. But we can't get there. We so do, if we you did do it. We got a few local it, voices who are anti-dual championship. If you did do it, would you do – this is hypothetical, but would you do like a um, like an eight-team dual bracket like two weeks before Big Tens, or how would you think about doing it? Um, I think we'd have to work through the mechanics of exactly how it would play out. Um, and what time of the year, I think there's an argument you could do it just in the, in the fall potentially and see what that looks like. I mean, I think there are different ways you can look at timing. Um, but I think they're just logistics that could be pretty quick and easy to iron out. Like I, I would have very little concern about being able to implement it next season. If after this NCAA championships, everybody turns around and is like, we want to do a meet championship. Cause I think there is, there's a path to doing that pretty quickly if people are willing to get on board with it. That is so reassuring to hear because all you hear is that ah, it's money. You're not going to be able to do too. It's like, that sounds like it has nothing to do with it. It's the coaches. It, I mean, it's not just coaches. There are other right. things we'd have to figure out and like, we'd have to adjust some, some aspects of probably even the individual championship too. So like there are some moving parts we'd have to like get approvals on and the, there's a process to all of those things. But I guess stuff. better. What but, I'm saying is that it's, it's good news that it's in the coach's hands. Cause like, I feel like before, Maybe my perception was that it's out of wrestling's hands. It's an NCA thing, and they don't want to sponsor whatever, blah blah blah. But I think it's reassuring that to know, hey, if 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 uh, if these guys wanted to do it, there's a path to doing it. Yeah, I don't know that we could specifically do it like a separate NCA championship dual meet championship, but I think there's a path to a dual meet championship that has an impact on the overall NCA championship. Okay, Does that makes sense. Yeah, right. So like we have a format where Whoever is crowned dual meet champ is potentially earning points for the NCAA championship and down the line is earning points for the NCAA championships at the end of the day. So that's still be a I don't team know that champ at the see. individual tournament. Still be in, a team champ at the individual tournament and potentially a team champ that has earned points in a dual meet championship that go towards that team scoring. Ah, I never thought about that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it would it would suck if the individual tournament didn't have the team aspect, because there's a lot of fun to that. Oh yeah, you know, I completely agree. Yeah, I can. Yeah, the the individual aspect is awesome, and I think our this tournament that's going to happen next weekend is one of the greatest events in the country, in the world. Fact, like you know, that is bottom line, true, no questions asked, and that is not just my wrestling bias. That is me asking people who I've seen be at the championship for the first time who have no connection to wrestling. Like two years ago, I was sitting in front of two NCAA interns who were at their first NCAA championship. And in the finals, I turned around and I was like, what do you guys think of this so far? And they just were like effusive praise. Like, this is one of the coolest things we've ever seen. This is like WWE, but real. Like, this is freaking (laughs) awesome. We're coming back next year. We're never going to miss another one. Like, totally into it and loved it. So there there is an interest level in what we're doing with this individual championship. However, dual meets are the core of our sport, right? We're a head-to-head sport. There is this individual piece. But teams competing against teams in a dual meet is what will draw some fans. It's right? better and to watch. It's better for TV. It's just it's just more easier to understand. Way yep. easier. Like if you're watching uh, any again, it, just a going to a tournament, even as a wrestling fan, sometimes can be a little. I'm gonna say it. It could be a little boring if you don't know exactly what's going on, right? And this yeah. is for actual wrestling fans. A dual meet, though, every single thing is on the line, and there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of action in it, and it's. Yeah. It is the, uh, I think, the best presentation of the sport outside of the, the NCAA tournament, which is kind of its own beast. Yeah. I mean, I, it, don't get me wrong. I love the NCAA individual championships. A three-hour session by <laughs> hour two and a half, even I'm like, right. okay, I can make this through. Like, there's some great matches happening, but like, okay, now I got whiplash. Okay. Like, and I need a break after a session to, like, catch my breath. You talk to me Saturday morning. <laughs> oh. Well, most people don't even show up. Don't even go up to that tournament. Yeah, that session. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, wow, this is a this is enlightening, and um, like I said, it's very exciting to know that those kind of things are there. And I think it's just amazing what what college wrestling's done in a matter of twenty years. I mean, you must see the difference in in attendance has got to be a lot, right? For dual meets across the board is way up right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I think they're doing some you know, some great stuff around dual meets right now, you know, Iowa continues to sell out, but I mean, we're seeing draws at other places. Rutgers now starting to get a serious oh. show. Like 
that's awesome. Yeah. And that's really good for the sport. And, you know, the next step in the evolution of the sport, I think we all acknowledge is wherever women's wrestling fits into this, we got to figure out how that fits into the equation because I think that only elevates the sport across the board. And it it's is gonna surprising. Grow our too. It's very surprising that Iowa, nothing else has really happened since then. Like you would have thought maybe some big brand schools, it's been almost two years. And it's like, you almost feel for Iowa because they put themselves out there. They don't really have anyone to wrestle in that power five, you know, area. Yeah. I will say from an administrative standpoint, sitting in an administrator seat, whatever is going to happen with the NCAA over the next few years is one of those things. That's just this lingering, like, what do we do? We don't know what's next with the NCAA. And because that landscape is so unstable right now, it's hard to think about, do we add sports? Do we not? What does that look like? What do you mean the NCAA? Like how, just because of NIL and all that, or like, like the structure? NIL, there, there's this whole transformation committee who made these recommendations that essentially is deregulating like everything. And, you know, the proposals that are out there really just dramatically change how the NCAA works. Um, really? You know, yeah. There'll be shifts in how sports report through the NCAA. There may be more NGB involvement. So there, there's a lot of unknown with the NCAA and what the future of the NCAA looks like that. I think it's, it's hard for, administrators to really wrap their head around like adding dropping including anything at this point because we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like and things are changing so rapidly right now between nil between these lawsuits that we have there could be a path to student athletes being employees at some point like all these funky things that are kind of in the mix that we're all just like what the heck do we do next and where do we go so i think it's a little bit of unfortunate timing for women's wrestling that had they had more traction five years ago, I think we would have seen more programs. But because of the uncertainty where the NCAA is right now, it's kind of putting a little bit of a, a wet blanket over kind of the growth because it's just like, what the heck are we doing and where do we go from here? I had no idea about some of these broader things going on at NCAA. Mm -hmm. So there's, I mean, you're, for folks who don't know, you're in the administra mm -hmm. administrative office. What's your, what's your current title? Uh, current title is Associate Athletic Director here. Um, right. so, so I've been in administration now for stuff. nine years. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And that's like, that's the next level. Like the coaches is one level, but now you're, you're kind of, you're really behind the scenes and seeing, uh, you know, some of the politics and some of the, the changes and all that. So mm. yeah, that's, it's good to hear that because I never even, you know, considered there's anything going on with the NCAA and maybe that's just my naivete. Yeah. It's, it is really, really interesting times. I mean, it's fascinating for me to sit here cause I'm not necessarily like in the decision-making piece of this, but I, I will inevitably be on the, like the responding side of this and need to figure out kind of what happens next and where do we go from here. And I mean, the one that scares me that I'm like, I don't even know what we do is if some of these lawsuits and these political folks that are getting tied into the NCAA decide we have to start paying student athletes as employees. I mean, that's like it's over. unprecedented. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't even know what we do or where we go from there. So that's one of those things that like we're watching, like, uh, what's, what is that going to do? What is that going to look like? So yeah, I haven't heard that super one. interesting. That's yeah. That's is that that's that's going through the system right now, huh? Or the, yeah, the court a, system? Yeah, there's a lawsuit uh, going through the whole legal process right now around student athletes wow. being classified as employees. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and there's some prominent politicians who are advocating for that too. So, you know, now we're into this political world of you know we got Washington involved in stuff, which that's you know how we know how well they work <laughs> down there. So <laughs> seriously, <laughs> you know. wow. Well, that's a. Uh... Again, I appreciate you kind of shedding light and letting us see what's going on behind the scenes because I think a lot of times people have a lot of opinions and we don't know the full picture, and that's clearly the case with with this. And um, it makes sense because it's frustrating to me that no other schools have added – and I'm talking like the Power Five, the, the mm -hmm. big boys, that they haven't done anything to help uh, Iowa put themselves out there. But I, I guess I see what you're saying. You know, if it's it's uncertain, people are probably still recovering from the budget – windfall of covid um mm -hmm. negative windfall of covid yep um, so interesting yeah a lot of a lot a lot of factors but i think it's coming i think it's a matter of time it's just a question of when will it happen and you know these power conferences are all changing right now too right we got big 10 adding and big 12 Man, adding and they're all so gonna true. have different titles so who knows where they're all gonna land in a couple of years absolutely Man, well, it's uh, it just gets me so excited for next week talking to you. And you know, we didn't we didn't get a chance to go into some of your matches, but I will just kind of sign off with this one. You know, your senior year, you uh, you take out Coleman Scott in the finals, and Coleman Scott's a, a PA guy. 
had to be one of those names growing up that was one of the the phenom kids, the top recruits. Did you ever come across him in your early days? Coleman and I were just far apart in age that we never overlapped in high school. Um, but I obviously knew who he was. I followed him through the years. Um, that was the first, well, we wrestled at the all-star classic that year. And then the NCAA finals was the second time we wrestled, but I think we then wrestled like another eight times after that on the next level. Um, yeah. International stuff became incredible rivals, but also good friends. And I'm so excited to see what he's doing down at UNC too. It's awesome to see him doing well. Man, absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a really fun, really fun conversation. And uh, I, are you going next week? Yep, yeah, I will be out there on Tuesday. So I'll, I'll be out there bright and early. All right, man. I'll try and sync up with you and just uh, introduce myself because I really appreciate your time. Of course. Of course. My pleasure. And I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Take care, man. All right, Ryan. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Matt Valenti. If you enjoyed this show, please give us a rating or review and support our sponsors. Beat the Street Chicago. Go to btschicago.org slash donate to contribute funds to Beat the Street Chicago. Download the Quant Wrestling app on Google and Apple Play stores. Quant Wrestling, Q-U-A-N-T. And that's it, folks. We'll see you next week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!